Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting in the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Live from Las Vegas. They're calling it UFC Vegas 15, Blades versus Lewis. But as you guys know, we are not going to be breaking down that heavyweight action on the main event. Instead, we're just going to be focused on the prelims here because that's what the prelim primer is all about. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show and asking yourself, why is the prelim primer only breaking down the primers? Why are we not looking at some of the bigger fights? And the answer is really simple. We think that if you are gambling, playing daily fantasy sports, or even just enjoying the fights in general, you need to know more about the guys on the early portion of the card, the guys you already don't know things about, and that's what we're here to help. Speaking of getting help on daily fantasy sports and gambling, this episode is brought to you by AJ's Action Pack Sports Bets. You can find AJ at AJ's Action Pack He's unlike all of those other companies who offer you gambling advice or picks. He's not just a list of picks that you get in your mailbox each week, but he does so much more than that. He provides you with his picks, but also an education that you can use for years to come through in-depth breakdowns sent right to your inbox for both gambling and DraftKings. It can be both of those. And essentially, he's going to give you all the tips and know-how so that you can continue to make informed decisions and maximize your profit for years to come. Once again, that's AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com, and you can find that link in the show notes. And we've got a special treat for you guys this week because joining me to help break down these prelim portion of the card is AJ himself from AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. AJ, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me, Dan. Looking forward to breaking down these fights. Uh, interesting fight night card, a little mix of prospects as well as a heavyweight contender uh, fight to headline the card. So looking forward to getting into these as we were talking beforehand. Some scarce footage on some fighters and we got some layoffs, but uh, we're well prepared and uh, ready to deliver. Absolutely. And, and that is really going to be the theme of the night is big layoffs and scarce footage. So without further ado, I'll put five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start round one by talking about Nate Manis versus Luke Sanders. So Manis took a decision win over Johnny Munoz in his UFC debut all the way back in August. Sanders, meanwhile, last knocked out Henan Burrell, but that, of course, was in February of 2019. So there's the long layoffs peeking their ugly head to start. Now, my question here is about Nate Manis. Nate Manis, uh, really good ground control in his debut. He looked good against Johnny Munoz, taking him down. Do you expect him to try to use that grappling at all against Luke Sanders here? I don't think so, because Sanders himself is a really good wrestler, and I think his plan A game plan is to strike here. And, uh, you know, he's a counter striker. <clears throat> Sanders, and I think, is going to oblige to that in a good way for Manus. You know, I think Sanders is the type that will walk you down. He has confidence in that left hand, cool hand, hence the nickname. And I just think Manus is a bit more polished of a striker. Look, I mean, I know Sanders is powerful. He could strike in volume, but uh, we've seen him countered, like against Sugmata. We've seen him hurt in other fights. And I just think with Manus, we got less question marks on him. Like, yes, he's not as ex- UFC experienced as Sanders, but I just trust him a bit more in this spot. spot. Better striker. Yes, yeah, Sanders is more tested, more experienced, but he's one of these fighters, like you said, long layoff. He's now 34 now, and uh, he's been dealing with some injuries here. So I think there's less red flags on the Manus side. He's actually going to be the side I'll take in most likely what will be a striker's battle. Yeah, I kind of agree with you here, too. I don't think necessarily he's going to lean on that grappling, but it will be interesting if... Luke Sanders does is able to tag him with that power that you were talking about. Whether or not he reverts back to like you know something he's pretty damn good at to begin with, 
I actually think he would probably be, uh, you know, well advised to at least shoot one or two here, even if he's not planning on going all the way through with the takedown. Just push Luke Sanders up against the cage, let him know that he's strong enough to do that, and keep Luke Sanders guessing a little bit more. It would probably open up his striking. Like you said, he's a counter striker, but in the same sense, you do want to keep your opponent guessing. So, as you said, you're, you're leaning towards Manus. I'm leaning towards Manus as well. How do you see him getting it done here? I think he gets it done by knockout here in the first round. Awesome. That, that's a little bit early for me. I'm going to say I think he probably gets a stoppage here too, but I'm going to go late after he's sort of, you know, done the feeling out process against Sanders, after he's gotten him to a position where, you know, Sanders is a little bit more desperate. I think he tags him then. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Bill Algio versus Spike Carlisle. Algio took a short notice loss in his debut back in August to Ricardo Lamas, former title challenger. Carlisle, meanwhile, knocked out Alon Cruz in his February debut, but followed that up with a May loss to Billy Quarantillo. So my question here is that Carlisle obviously has the hands to put lots of people away. He's got dynamite in that right hand, but Algio showed us just how crazy tough he is. Are, are you expecting him to take a lot of those big shots at Carlisle here? Um, I think he can. Yeah, definitely. Both guys are really tough and durable, as you said. Um, Carlisle, we've seen it. We've got he's got that big power in his hands, but I actually think the striking will more often than not favor Aljo here due to his length. I think he's more varied and just uh, overall more effective striker. Carlisle, I think, would actually be better served here to grapple. We saw in his last fight against Billy Q, like he said, uh, very physically strong in those grappling exchanges. And Billy Q is a very good grappler himself, very strong in the scrambles with Spike. And look, I mean, he slowed down in that fight, but the guy is so tough and resilient. You wouldn't think, uh, based off how he was moving and how strong he was in those exchanges, that he was as tired as say maybe he looked in terms of like his facial expression. Um, but yeah, I think actually it's going to be a fight where they both definitely could grapple. Aljo's a, a BJJ black belt at memory serves. Uh, but I actually think this will be a fight where, while yeah, he can hang with Carlisle on the ground, I actually think he'll be better served to uh, try and outstrike Carlisle here and just leverage those very tools that he has. Whereas Spike, on the flip side, like I said, he can probably hang with Aljo. Like you said, he's got the threat of the power, but I actually think he'll be better served uh, to mix in his grappling here due to that physicality that he brings. So I totally agree with you. I think Algio definitely has the advantage on the feet. Carlisle has the advantage grappling. And those should be the paths they, they should go to. But now here's the bigger question. Do you think it's the path that they do go to? Or do you think they both get suckered into a firefight that turns into fight of the night type material here? Oh, I, I hope you're right on that. Yeah, I mean, because these guys, we've seen it. Yeah, they both are, are down for that. Uh, Aljo, like you said, that last fight against Lamas, crazy. Uh, he had Lamas really on the ropes there. Uh, but we know Lamas is just such a, you know, top 15 type guy in this weight class for so long. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely more potential here with with Carlisle being, uh, you know, not as uh, UFC experienced. Maybe he wants to engage more so in that firefight, whereas Lamas was more willing to uh, take it to the ground, uh, not really mess around with too much on the feet against Aljo, the, the young guy who definitely had more to gain there. So I could definitely see where you're coming from. It could be a firefight, uh, like you said, because Carlisle's got to be feeling good about his stand up, as does Aljo, despite coming off a tough loss here. Absolutely, and we are unfortunately at the end of round one, so i got to ask for your prediction. Who you got in this one, and how do you got him? I got Carlisle here by decision. All right, and I think I'm going to go Algio by decision. I'm going to differ with you on this one. I I'm just excited to see how he follows up that, that fight with Ricardo Lamas because I I he, he definitely, definitely bought a lot of stock in my eyes after that fight. And that's going to do it for the end of round one. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number two. And this is just a reminder that this show is brought to you by AJ's Action Pack Sports Bets com. That link is in the show notes. You're listening to AJ right now, so you know that he's a knowledgeable guy. 
but he's not just sending you his picks every single week. Instead, he's giving you audio breakdown every single week of all of the fights so that you know the pros and cons of betting each side and other things like who's going to be owned a bunch in DraftKings and who isn't. And it doesn't stop there. Not only is the audio content coming to you, but also you can get some written content from him. I highly suggest checking out all of his options at AJ's Action Pack Sports Bets. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Martin Day versus Anderson Dos Santos. Day, another guy with a big layoff. He's been out a year and a half. Uh, and, well, actually, he was out a year and a half, and then he returned and got knocked out by Davy Grant. That was back in July. So another decent layoff after that. So he's only fought one time in the last two years. Anderson Dos Santos, meanwhile, he's been away for a year and a half. Uh, he lost a fun decision back to Andre against Andre Ewell all that time ago. But again, we haven't seen him for that amount of time. So uh, looking back at tape, it looks like Martin Day has probably got the power advantage here. But Anderson Dos Santos brings a lot of volume and pressure. Do you think that Day gets sucked into that type of fight where they're throwing a lot of punches and gets tired out? Or... Do you think he can stick to his guns and just throw the meaningful shots in the big counters here? Um, if he get, engages in the firefight with Dos Santos, I think either guy is capable of knocking out the other. I do think Day's the better striker here, and he should want to play that point-fighting range game because he's just got the more varied tools. He's just much more polished of a striker. Dos Santos is, uh, you know, doesn't really vary his attack all that much, but he does crack, like you said. Um, and the, issue, the concern I have with Day is while I do favor him on the feet, um, I'm really concerned about the Davy Grant fight, like you said. Uh, Davy Grant, talented guy, very tested, not really known as a power puncher. That was Davy Grant's actually not only his first knockout in the UFC, but first knockdown. Um, and that was just a few months ago, like you said. So it was probably enough time to recover, but then you couple that with he's been stopped another time on the regional scene has Day. And then uh, you want to go back to that UFC debut. Uh, he was uh, knocked down there as well. So while I favor him on the feet, I think that if it is a firefight, like you said, Dos Santos can maybe uh, land something big. Uh, but nonetheless, I favor Day there. I think Dos Santos' better chance uh, to win the fight will be to take it to the ground. Uh, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Not, not bad on the ground by any means, but I think that will be uh, Dos Santos will more than likely need to get this fight to the ground. We have seen Day taken down. We have seen him get his back taken. I think that'll be Dos Santos' more clear path to victory, though I do think that he has a puncher's chance on the feet uh, as that firefight maybe comes to fruition. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're definitely right on that one. I'm a little concerned about the chin because, like you said, Davey Grant, not a guy who knocks people out, hardly ever. Uh, and, and in addition to that, you know, not a, a ton of time off. He's been knocked out in the regional circuit. I just think the first point you made, that if he fights a point fight here, I think he wins this easily. I think he wins a decision pretty easily. It just matters how good he is at sticking to those guns and not, you know, engaging Anderson in his type of fight. So my official pick, I'm going to take Day. I'm going to take him by decision. How do you like him winning this one? I'm going to take Day actually by knockout here. Even though Dos Santos is really tough, he has been stopped a few times via strikes. And we actually did see him rocked there by Ewell. Uh, his legs stepped up, stiffened up a few times. Uh, so I actually think that Day is cap more than capable of getting this thing uh, done by stoppage here. All right, and that brings us to our next one, which is another weird one. Ashley Evan Smith versus Norma Dumont. Ashley Evan Smith hasn't fought in nearly two years, which was a loss to Andrea Lee back in February of 2019. Her last win came against Beck Rawlings in April of 2018. So we're talking about almost three years since the last time she won. Norma Dumont, meanwhile, got knocked out by Megan Anderson in her debut up at featherweight. Of course, she's coming to bantamweight for this fight. Ashley Evan Smith going up to bantamweight for this fight. Which is a weird kind of dynamic, right? Like, we've got 
Dumont, who looked like a sizable featherweight coming down to weight class, Ashley Evan Smith, who was kind of like the bully of flyweight, now coming up. How, how do you see size playing into this fight? Um, I don't know if it'll be too compelling, honestly. I think they're both uh, roughly around the same size. Evan Smith, bait, potentially a little bit more physical. Uh, but the difference maker here, I think it'll play a role in the grappling um, is what we're trying to get to here. Because like Evan Smith, she's got that wrestling background. Uh, but we have seen she can be submitted, not just from uh, being in bottom position, but from guard. Um, that will be Dumont was the woman that we were referring to. Very scarce footage of her. But what we do know is she is very good in the, the jiu-jitsu realm. Um, and like we said, we have seen uh, Smith submitted by Maras, who, if you want to talk about physicality, Smith actually had a physicality edge there. So that's the concern that I have with Evan Smith, because she could be the better fighter here, better striker. She's obviously more experienced, but uh, Dumont can maybe submit her from guard. Um, even if Evan Smith gets, um, you know, strong top control time, which she really hasn't shown to do. Um, in a lot of her recent fights, like against Beth Rawlings, I noticed that she struggles to control the opposition on the ground if she even keeps, uh, even takes them down, rather. Um, so I think the physicality, it's it's something to take in consideration. I don't think it'll be the end-all, be-all. Um, I think that she'll need to be defensively responsible. That'll be the key thing for Evan Smith, should she end up in top position to kind of avoid uh, a submission attempt from uh, Dumont's guard. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting, too, while, while you're right, the sizes are definitely the same. I, I think just the uh, more of what I'm thinking of in, in terms of, of strength advantage here is the fact that Dumont is somebody who fills out 145 fairly easily, whereas Evan Smith is somebody who didn't look, you know, all that depleted at 25. It looked like she made 25 pretty easy all those years ago. Now, obviously, her body may have changed in two years since we've seen her. The other thing I'm interested in is Dumont, you're right, would, could definitely sub her off her back. I'm interested, too, if she could sub her off the top because she did take Megan Anderson down, who's, you know, maybe not the greatest wrestler in the whole world, but she is a 145-pounder, and she is pretty damn good, you know, when she is in there. So I'm interested to see if she gets top game, too. But regardless, we are at the end of this round, so I got to ask you who you got in this one and how do you got him? I got Evan Smith here by decision. All right, and I'm going to take Dumont. I actually think she gets that submission you were talking about, either off the bottom or, like I said, maybe she gets a little top game. Uh, and that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number three. All right, guys, I've gushed enough for you about how much I like AJ. We're talking right now on the prelims. You can hear how knowledgeable he is. But I want to tell you something on behalf of somebody who... Subscribes to AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. This comes from subscriber George who says, I've been following AJ for several months and he's ultra impressive, but honestly his winning selections and return on investment are not even the main reasons I follow along. His breakdowns and understandings of those matchups are what impressed me the most because it can be hard to separate out your emotions and favorite fighters in this crazy fight game, but AJ seems to be able to objectively break down each fight with pinpoint accuracy and not let emotions get in the way. He comes highly recommended in my book. And we couldn't agree more with George. And we think that you will too. If you check him out. At AJ's Action Pack Sports Bets. All And we are back with our third and final round. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Malcolm Gordon versus Suma Derji. Malcolm Gordon lost his UFC debut to Ali Albazi by triangle back in July. Moderji, meanwhile, lost his UFC debut to Luis Smolka. He rebounded by beating Andre Sukumta. Of course, that was a year ago last August, so another big layoff here. So the, the question is, is kind of Malcolm Gordon on the regional scene was a pretty good grappler, and that's kind of what people were talking about with him coming in. 
Obviously, he loses by triangle in his debut. Doesn't look all that good. Are, are you lower on his grappling after watching that? And, and as a result, are you lower on just what Malcolm Gordon's ceiling is? Uh, yeah, it definitely causes concern with that grappling because, like you said, that's like one of his uh, bases for mixed martial arts, and he got subbed there from guard. Uh, but in this matchup, I don't think – I think it'll actually be in his best interest here to grapple against Muderji. We saw in that debut against Smolka, uh, Muderji's ground game isn't exactly up to par himself. Now, has he improved that? I'm sure he has. He's a young man and trains an American top team, but uh, we need to see it more. Um, and that's a concern because Smolka's a guy who, you know, he has had his fair, success, share, fair share of success on the ground, excuse me, uh, but he's not exactly a dominant grappler. So the, I actually think that'll be Gordon's uh, clear path to victory here. Take Muderji down. Try and take his back. And we saw Smolka not just dominate him in round one or round one, but also round two. And we've seen Muderji submitted prior to that. All of his losses came by submission. So I actually think that Gordon, that'll be tr try to impose that sort of game plan. Whereas on the Muderji side, I just think he's a much better striker here. Uh, much more technical, polished, varied. Uh, he's very good at, at, at distance. You know, he utilizes his very good kicks. He's got like a, a Wushu Sanda background, I believe. Um, so it's a true striker versus grappler matchup. It's tough to trust Maderji as a big favorite because he's got that clear weakness in his ground game. Uh, but he's going to be uh, the side I think we'll take here, uh, hoping that his ground game is good enough to kind of stop any threat from Gordon there. And I'm going to go the same exact way. I'm going to take Maderji, and I think probably, like you said before, with his distance striking, I think he can probably keep the distance enough to maybe just keep it away from the ground without having to defend too much of a takedown because he's got that distance. Uh, and yeah, it, it, if you're gambling on this one, guys, the, the odds here on Muderji are way too high for me to be really excited about him. I, I think I saw him betting off in the negative 300 to negative 400 range earlier today. So he, he, I, I'm staying away from Muderji at numbers like that. But if I'm picking him, I'm picking him to win this one by decision. How do you got him winning it? I got him winning the, the stoppage in the third round. All right, and that brings us to our next one, which is Kai Kamaka versus Jonathan Pierce. Kamaka had a fight of the night decision win over Tony Kelly in his August debut. Pierce, meanwhile, had a grounded pound loss to Lou, uh, Joe Lozon, but that was, get this, a year ago last October. So uh, it was a really long time ago. Now the question here is, we, we talked about a striker grappler matchup with the last one. This feels a lot like that again. Pierce kind of being a more polished grappler. Kamaka, you know, he's got all of the hands here. What does Pierce have to do to bring this fight to Kamaka and take it into his world? I actually think Pierce needs to leverage his physicality here. I mean, he's the guy that's not taking this fight on short notice. He's actually a bit uh, bigger than Kamaka in terms of heights. Uh, a gentleman who has fought at lightweight, whereas we've seen Kamaka in that debut, like you said, at featherweights here. Um, and he's the more prepared guy. You know, even though I think that Kamaka is the better talent overall, that will be what Pierce needs to impose. Look, I mean, um, He's aggressive on the feet. He throws in high combination, high volume, and Kamaka is hittable. We saw that in that debut against Kelly, uh, even on, on the regional scene, you know, in LFA. Uh, so Pierce, he's got power. He throws in high volume. He's aggressive. Uh, that will be neat. He, <clears throat> if the brawl scenario happens, he'll need to leverage those tools in open space or clinch up with Kamaka to win rounds that way. On the flip side here, we've got Kamaka, who I just think is a bit more polished on the feet. Uh, Pierce is just very easy to be countered. Uh, we even saw him hurt in that debut against Joe Lowe's on prior to uh, the fight being brought to the ground. Uh, just throws a lot of like naked low kicks, just doesn't move his head off the center line. So while I don't think Kamaka's defense is great on the feet, I actually think that Pierce is more defensively liable uh, of the two. Uh, but if we're talking about pass to victory, how Pierce can win, it's through that leveraging that uh, physicality and how, how he'll do that in the clinch, in the pocket, leverage that power, um, and maybe even try and hurt Kamaka with something because Kamaka doesn't have uh, good pocket defense himself. I'm so glad you mentioned that Lozon fight, too, because that that's what stuck out to me when I was watching film on this as 
being one of the things that alarms me the most about Jonathan Pierce, Lozon not known for his striking. For So for him to get tagged by Lozon and jelly-legged by Lozon, it definitely brings cause to concern, both for his chin and for fighting a guy who, who puts together combinations definitely better than Joe Lozon with Kai Kamaka here. So I, I'm going to take Kamaka here. I'm going to take him by knockout. How do you got him winning this one? Uh, Kamaka by knockout as well, despite the short notice. I think he gets it done. All right, and that brings us to our last fight, which is Rachel Ostovich versus Gina Mazzani. Ostovich, hey, get this. Two years since we last saw her when she lost to Paige Van Zandt, and it's been three years since we saw her win. Mazzani, meanwhile, returned to the UFC in June after being released. She got knocked out by Julia Avila in just 22 seconds, but she's back in the UFC now, and she's going down to 125 pounds now to meet Rachel Ostovich at flyweight. So, I guess here's the question. She she definitely got out-muscled by Avila, and even in some of her previous Bantamweight fights, got out-muscled there too. Do you think 125 will solve that problem for Gina Mazzani? Um, it certainly could, yeah. I, I think that the physicality could play more of a role here. She's also got six inches of reach on Ostevich here. Um, I actually think that while the physicality can play a role, kind of like what we said about Evans Dumont, um, I just think that there's going to be some other elements here that are more compelling, perhaps. You know, I actually think that Ostevich is a bit better of a wrestler here. Um, and I actually think she's the better striker as well. Um, so while I do think that Mazzani uh, can maybe have some success in those grappling exchanges because Ostevich isn't exactly defensively responsible herself on the ground, she is one of these fighters that we've talked about before, uh, submission over position, which is not uh, always ideal in terms of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world. Uh, you want to prioritize having dominant position uh, so perhaps Mazzani wraps something up, but she just hasn't really shown to be, you know, a submission grappler, say on the level of like a Paige Van Zandt or any of these other women that have submitted her like a Montana De La Rosa. So I see this fight as competitive here, but what edges it for me um, in terms of picking Osovich is, again, that better wrestling, better striking. Yeah, the long layoff concerns me, but uh, like you said with Mazzani, you know, prior to the Avila fight, she wasn't exactly, she's not exactly a fighter who's fighting uh, super frequently either. So uh, a true toss-up, toss coin flip-ish type of fight, but I'm going to side actually here with Ostovich. That's interesting too, and, and I think you, you make a good point about the scrambling too, and it's actually why I'm leaning to Gina Mazzani here is I, I think because Ostovich does not, you know, settle into position well in in her jiu-jitsu, she, she winds up leaving herself, maybe not liable to a submission, but maybe not liable or not going to stay very long in those top positions, she's going to wind up with not a lot of top control. It may wind up costing her, I think, in a decision. So I'm going to go with Mazzani here by decision. How do you got Ostovich winning? Uh, via decision. All right. And that's going to do it with our last and final round. We gave you seven or seven fights in just a little bit over 15 minutes. We hope you guys enjoyed. Once again, you can follow AJ at AJ MMA Betting on Twitter. And, of course, check out his website, uh, at AJ's Action Pack SportsBets.com. And you can, of course, find that link in the show notes. AJ, thank you so much for joining me, man. Appreciate it, Dan. Let's do this again sometime soon.